0: Today's reading is 1 Thessalonians 4, 10-12, and Mark 5, 35-37. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. 1 Thessalonians 4, 10-12 And in fact, you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, dear friends, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Mark 9, 35 through 37. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, "'Anyone who wants to be first, must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: As we, as we ponder this passage, let's take a moment to pray and ask for God's blessing as we listen for his voice. Our God of grace, we enter into an ancient practice right now of listening for your voice um, in the most unlikely way, believing that you still speak through ancient scriptures and you set it up this way that we can open up the pages of this story and we can find you. We can find your voice and that you, through your Holy Spirit, pierce through into our very real world to walk with us and, in fact, to surround us with your grace and the mercy that comes to us through Jesus Christ. In this time, though, we find ourselves bringing many different kinds of struggles and wounds and stories to this passage of scripture, these passages. um, Speak and meet with each of us. May we hear your voice, and may your grace flood into this church, and out into the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, All right. So, A couple of young fish are swimming along. Maybe you've heard this. A couple of young fish are swimming along and uh, crossing their path is this older, wiser uh, fish who says to them, howdy young ones, isn't the water marvelous today? And they awkwardly chuckle and kind of nod and then when they get out of earshot, one of them says to the other, what in the heck is water? And that's kind of where we find ourselves, of course, with um, growing up in a culture, in a place, is that we are influenced by priorities, by values, by ways of understanding the world. And, And we don't always even realize that we're absorbing all of these things, that these things are shaping our worldview and our outlook. It's not always you know, it's not always positive, but one of the things that is there for us in America is the value of wanting to be above average. The value of, of wanting to make a name for yourself. And so there's this song that um, I became a little more familiar with this week. And it's by Brooks and Dunn called Only in America, and the words go like this. Sun coming up over New York City, school bus driver in a traffic jam, staring out at the faces in a rearview mirror, looking at the promise of the promised land. One kid dreams of fame and fortune, one kid helps pay the rent. One could end up going to prison, one just might be president. Only in America, dreaming in red, white, and blue, only in America where we dream as big as we want to. Second verse, sun going down on an LA freeway, newlyweds in the back of a limousine, a welder's son and a banker's daughter, all they want is everything. She came out here to be an actress. He was a singer in a band. They might just go back to Oklahoma and talk about the stars they could have been. Only in America. John Kennedy Toole's mother knew that he was going to be above average. She just knew it. She could feel it. She saw that he was going to be a standout, and in fact, it was through much through her efforts that it finally happened that his novel that he wrote just when he was in his twenties, the name of it is Con- The Confederacy of Dunces, the novel sells 50,000 copies on its first release, and the Pulitzer Prize was quick to follow, and the year was 1981. Now, the only problem with this is that, um, is when it happened, the year that it happened, it was 12 years too late for John, because living with his mother's expectation of greatness and the cloud of failure that he was experiencing in his life, he committed suicide in 1969. It highlights, well, perhaps put it this way, it, if you asked a parent, any parent, what they would prefer, to have a famous, well-known child who was no longer with them and had was gone way too soon, or to have a completely overlooked average child who is still alive think the answer would be universally the second but we live in this water these are the this is the this is one of the values of our culture make a name for yourself and it's you know it's not just a it's not just a, a mother perhaps who lays that into your life if it's not our parents it's our teachers if not our teachers or coaches or mentors then we pick up the spark from the innumerable fires of ambition that burn on our cultural landscape Says Chad Bird in his book called Upside Down Spirituality. He continues Be somebody, stand out from the crowd, rise above your peers, carve out a name for yourself, be anything but normal. These desires are as American as apple pie, they are orthodox exclamations in the national creed. And yet, as Chad Bird pokes a little deeper, he starts to wonder, is there perhaps something not so great about our national value for being above average? He says, narcissism is still a dirty word in modern society, but ambition, which is actually nothing more than narcissism at work, has been whitewashed. We don't want our narcissistic labor to be sin, we want it to be righteousness. So we rename it ambition, a socially acceptable, even socially applaudable quality. And all of this is just sort of a setup so that we can accurately understand how we're supposed to hear these places in the Bible when we are asked to, as it were, swim upstream with this particular cultural value. One of those scripture passages is in 1 Thessalonians 4. We, we just read that and just listen to this incredible irony of one of the sentences that was just read. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Did you catch that? That's, that and that's intentional by the original author, the Apostle Paul. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Comes out in other places in the New Testament in Philippians, uh, the letter to the Philippians. Paul writes a similar thing: Do nothing from selfish ambition, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. You know, Jesus, um, on multiple occasions, he would see the the kind of clamoring for greatness happening around him, whether it was his disciples or the host of a dinner party or those seated at the dinner party. And he would touch on this topic many times. And several times what he did was he looked around as if to find the most ignored person he could see in the crowd. And sure enough, he brought onto his lap a child. And his message was, become like this. To everyone's shock, he's saying, if you wanna be great, if you wanna really be somebody, become like this ignored person that everyone is overlooking. So there's something about Jesus's message in this. Um, One person who seems to have made some progress on understanding this is uh, Thomas Merton. A spiritual writer and guide who wrote this he says a few years ago a man who was compiling a book on success asked me to contribute a statement on how I got to be a success I replied indignantly that I was not able to consider myself a success in any terms that had a meaning to me I swore I had spent my life strenuously avoiding success If it happened that I had once written a bestseller, this was a pure accident due to inattention and naivete. And I would take every good care never to do the same thing again. If I had a message to my contemporaries, I said it was surely this. Be anything you like, be madmen, drunks, and bastards of any shape and form, but at all costs avoid one thing, success. I heard no more from him, and I am not aware that my reply was published with the other testimonials. (laughs) I think Thomas Merton somehow, somehow it clicked this message from Jesus. And I think that the way it clicks, the way that this works, is that we see Jesus did not just teach this and say, oh, it's better to pursue, you know, an average route than to pursue a successful route. Jesus didn't just teach this, although he did teach it. Um, The transformational uh, thing in a Christian's life and in the life of the church is actually that Jesus became this for us, that this was, so that Jesus took the downward path as a way of elevating each and every one of us in his father's presence. In other words, when Jesus went to the cross, well, start even farther back. When Jesus arrives, it was already God condescending, the creator condescending into his creation as an act of love, of condescending so that we might be brought back to our creator. And then on the cross, becoming a a complete failure in the eyes of all of the authorities of his day, so that you and I, every single one of us, could be made a complete success in the eyes of his father. He went down to raise us up. So this is why I say that this is important and, and this is the clicking that I think happened with Thomas Merton to be able to make a quote like that. The click is that, oh, I can stop chasing making a name after myself because before I even started, a name was already made for me in, in the place where it matters most, in the presence of God the Father. That through Jesus, I've already been elevated into the place of, that people only dream of being elevated to, in terms of fame and glory. God has welcomed me into his presence. That's the gospel. So, And, and, and if you know that, if you have at the center of your life this, your name elevated in such a way, it satisfies every last ounce of that ambition that wants to be somebody. And then you're freed up to be a nobody. <laughs> By having been brought upward, ultimately, you can now fall downward. And Jesus says, come on down here. I'll meet you at the bottom. The path is through a downward sort of vanilla life. <laughs> Let me just close with, some, with a final um, thought from Chad Bird where he says the most interesting and countercultural truth in the kingdom of Jesus is that love and acceptance have zero basis in worth or accomplishment. A billionaire in the Upper East Side of New York City is no more worthy of love and acceptance than the schizophrenic homeless man sleeping in an alley in the Bronx. Before any of us build a business or declare bankruptcy, before we earn a PhD or drop out of high school, before we establish a soup kitchen or star in a porn video, We are equally loved by God, the God who shows no favoritism. Our personal success does not attract his love, nor does our failure expand or contract it. The God who is love loves us indiscriminately, passionately, furiously. That love was on cosmic display when atop a Roman tree of crucifixion, Jesus became the millionaire and the addict, the nun and the stripper. The newborn baby and the wrinkled octogenarian. All humanity with its sores and wounds and twisted souls and barren lives and evil infested pasts. He became all that humanity, or he he became that, that all humanity might become in him, resplendent in the eyes of the father. Let's take a moment of silence about one minute to reflect on what God is drawing your attention to in this time. And there's some prompts on the screen to help you, not only in this minute, but in for further reflection today or this week. Our Heavenly God, we look to you to pursue what we can't achieve, to what we can't to to, to, to find what we can't uh, seek after. We need you more than we know, and we pray that you would just keep pursuing and chasing after us, even if we find ourselves resistant to you, or like your words this morning are bouncing off of us. Don't give up on us. Keep pursuing us and prying open our hearts that we might receive and be filled with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.